A big night for Native women. The results of the 2018 election. From the studios of FNX First Nations Experience Native Vote 18 Election Night, I'm Antonia Gonzalez with National Native News. Election night was a big night for Indian Country. The number of Native Americans in the Congress could grow from two to five and at least two Native women for the first time ever to win office. There are more than 100 Native candidates who ran for a variety of offices from the U.S. House of Representatives to state legislatures. We worked with more than 40 reporters and producers in 15 states across the country for last night's broadcast. Democrats Sharice Davids won in Kansas, Deb Holland in New Mexico, and a close race in New Mexico could add one more Republican, Yvette Harrell. She earned, she's running for a seat in Las Cruces. David's is Ho-Chunk and Holland is Laguna Pueblo. Mark, this really is the year of the Native American woman and there had never been a Native woman elected to Congress before in the entire history of the country. And in Oklahoma, Kevin Stitt, a Cherokee citizen, was elected governor. He is the first tribal member to ever be elected in a state and it's remarkable when you think of the history of Oklahoma and once Indian Territory. Also re-elected to the Congress were Representative Tom Cole, Chickasaw, and Representative Mark Wayne Mullen, Cherokee. Both are Republicans. This is Cole's ninth term in Congress and Mullen's fourth. Across the country, more than 100 women were expected to be seated in the Congress, a record. Democrats will control at least 220 seats in the new Congress. The leadership of that body will be elected before the month is out. But the Senate is a different story where Republicans added to their majority. Let's hear from Deb Holland, who won in New Mexico. I'm standing here with Deb Holland, soon to be Congresswoman Deb Holland. Deb, how are you feeling tonight? I mean, you know, I'm excited, of course. We're happy 18 months of really hard work. And uh, I had a great team. I had wonderful volunteers. Uh, people who believed in us, and so I'm, I'm thrilled, of course. It's always, it's always good to win an election. And how do you feel about being not the first, but the second uh, of two Native women in Congress? Well, I think Sharice and I are both first. <laughs> That's right, right, you're both first. Yeah, we're both first. So I think that um, we'll, uh, you know what I'm really excited about is that we're from different parts of the country, uh, we're from different tribes, we you know, we can have that perspective going into Congress and, you know, bring all that together. And um, I can't wait to serve with her. I think it'll be really exciting. And, you know, one of your campaign slogans was that uh, Congress has never heard a voice like yours before. So I'm curious how you plan to uh, head on over to Congress and make that voice heard. Well, of course, I mean, it's, you know, it's about being accountable to your constituents, to the people who, who you must care about being a Native American woman. Of course, I, I feel confident. 
president that drives across the country will want to meet with me, will want me to help them with their issues, and I want, I want to be available for that. Um, you know, what I've said all along is I really feel like Indian tribe. Democrats just won the House. How do you feel about that? I'm excited. We can get more stuff done. We can stop bad bills. We can make sure that we are working on what we need to work on. Um, but look, what we really need to do is make sure that Indian tribes actually have a seat at the table. Tribes have a government-to-government -government relationship with the United States. The United States has a trust responsibility to tribes. I want to make sure that that is followed through with. And uh, how do you feel about uh, working across the aisle with your um, fellow uh, Republican natives in Congress? Uh, I'm ready to do that. I, I will be happy when I have an opportunity to meet with uh, Congressman Cole and Congressman um, uh, Mark Wayne Molly. Yes. Yes. So, you know, look, Indian issues are something that we should we should all agree on. Right. There, there should not be partisan issues. So. Um, perhaps we start there, and perhaps we uh, learn to work on other things together as well. Anything else you want to say to Indian country? You know, Indian country, I want you all to take this as a signal that we belong in politics. All of us together, we need to get out and vote. We need to run for office. We need to make sure that our voices are heard across this country. That's Deborah Holland. Thank you so much for coming. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Next, we'll hear from Loranda Lavaldo, who is with the Sharice Davids campaign in Kansas. Well, she did her, her uh, speech at the end, and a lot of people were just really excited to see her and hear her, and everyone was just very loud. Um, her mom was out there as well. She thanked her mom for being a part, um, helping her out. And, you know, I think a lot of people were just overjoyed with emotions. And tell us a little bit about Sharice Davids for viewers who are just now tuning in, a little bit about who she is and her campaign. Yeah, definitely. She was, um, or she is, a Ho-Chunk, a tribal member. Uh, she went to Haskell. She went to Johnson County Community College. Her mom uh, was stationed in the military out here in Kansas, so she lived out here for quite a while. And then she went to um, Cornell Law School and she was a um, White House fellow under Obama. So she's had a lot of experience um, dealing with politics, but I think a lot of people don't think that she had enough, like, because she hasn't been um, in politics per se, but, you know, I think a lot of people probably voted for her because of that. And so, um, yeah, so it's just uh, a lot of people were just really excited here uh, to hear her talk and, and to hear her win. Rhonda, uh, one of the things that was um, remarkable about Sharice uh, is how late she entered the race. It wasn't like yeah. she'd been planning it for a long time. This was a late entry, and she still uh, did really well. Yeah, she entered the race very late, and a lot of uh, people didn't think that was going to help her. They thought um, she really, uh, the other, opponents had a jump start on her. So I think uh, during the primaries, um, they didn't think she'd be able to beat uh, Brent Welder. And so uh, I think she surprised a lot of people um, doing that. And, you know, I think her, her 
public speaking skills are really good and she can really hold the crowd with when she talks. And so I think that helped her out a lot and just being uh, down to earth, which is what a lot of people I talked to uh, said, um, a lot of people would message me and say, you know, they've been Republican for a very long time. This first time they were going to be voting Democrat. Well, the other thing that struck me about the way she conducted her campaign is uh, at one point, uh, Bernie Sanders went on a tour and endorsed uh, Brent Welder. And instead of reacting to it, she basically worked harder to get local endorsements and to stick with people in Kansas and to make it a Kansas story. Yeah, that's what one thing she did that was really great. Uh, she didn't go low. And she, I think there was a lot of um, bad uh, political ads out there for a while. And that was interesting to see, I think, for our uh, young students, our young Native students at Haskell. I think that was the first time they were seeing uh, a Native woman being attacked, um, you know, for who she was. and. I think maybe this could be a stepping stone or a learning thing for, for other Native people who want to go run in politics because they can see how it is uh, through Deb Holland and Cherise Davidson and what they had to endure. And what was her support like with the gay community um, being an openly gay candidate? Um, you know, they had a tremendous uh, response out here. Uh, you saw a lot of LGBTQ uh, people here uh, supporting her. Um, they wanted to make sure that their voices is heard as well. Uh, I know when during the primaries, I met a lot of uh, members of the LGBTQ community and said they really wanted to make sure she made it um, and that she beat Kevin Yoder um, in, in tonight's election. So, you know, she had a lot of support. When you go out with her on the campaign trail, I mean, she talks about um, things like going to community college and going to Haskell. And she's also the first millennial elected from the Native community. Uh, what kind of thing, what does that tell your students? I think it inspires them so much. Uh, it was just, you know, speaking with our students at Haskell, you know, they were so inspired by her story. Uh, she's come out to campus a couple times, and they felt just awesome that she was so humble that she would just come out and hang out with them and talk with them and give them advice. Uh, when she came out for the Elect Her event, uh, she gave advice to the young women what to expect when you're running. And I think they really took that to heart, and they were inspired. And I talked with many students after that. They were like, I feel pumped up, ready to go, and, and do another election. Rhonda, I remember the primary, uh, the election didn't end, and you were driving home in the middle of the night, and this time it's over very early. Uh, what do you think about that? I am very grateful. Uh, that was tough to endure. Um, yes, that was a long night. I stayed out uh, in Kansas City until 1 o'clock in the morning, and I didn't get home till 2. Uh, and now they're closing up behind me. Uh, they're rolling out all the tables. I'm glad the machines worked this time. So uh, very grateful for that. There were two Native women running for governor, Paulette Jordan in Idaho and Andrea Tupela in Hawaii. In some ways, they're mirror images. 
Jordan is, was a candidate in a conservative state and Tupela a Republican in a liberal state, but both talked about solving problems and the importance of hearing Native voices in government. Lori Edmo interviewed Jordan last night. Okay, this is Lori Edmo, and I'm here with Paulette Jordan at her watch party here at the Grove Hotel in Boise. So Paulette, can you talk about your campaign? And it's early in the evening for returns, but can you talk about what's what's going on and, and you know, how you're feeling right now? Uh, so much excitement and energy. Uh, you know, people are very uh, enthused about tonight. So we just gave our final speech. We're waiting for now the results to roll in. Uh, but I'll tell you while uh, we're so humbled by everything, just being able to experience this campaign in the way that we have, traveling so far, uh, far and wide, getting to every corner of our state, meeting as many people as we could, it has just been the, the most incredible experience. So here we are tonight, I'm here with my family, we all came together, and I could not wait for this moment, uh, but yet I'm just extremely thankful by everyone for all of their sacrifices and helping us get us here to this point. You got a lot of support from throughout Indian country, mm -hmm. and there was a number of women who were victorious tonight. So how, how did that make a difference in your campaign? I love to hear that we had our women, indigenous women, who have, are running and are winning because that's what we want to see. Uh, in fact, when we won, we run together. So it's a shared success. It's a shared collective. I know all of our tribes across the country are very proud to see that we have indigenous women who will now be representing our tribal peoples in uh, Congress, that's very powerful. Uh, lots of history making tonight. And so I'm very proud of my sisters and honored that we all serve together. Uh, our sub here, as we wait for time, uh, or time to tell us what our final results are, uh, I just have to say congratulations to my sisters out there who've won. Okay, and despite what happens tonight, do you have a message to the young people out there who, who may be interested in running for office? Or, or Never give up. Our young sisters, our young people, they must always continue to fight, push ahead, and make sure to maintain that optimism. Because you have to think about what your ancestors are thinking of, that they must be proud. And every day as I ask myself, how have I honored my ancestors today? Have I done more to give back to the people? And continue to make sure that the legacy of my children is maintained because we step on very big shoulders, the, the legacy that we stem from. And so I'm proud of tonight. I know that all of our hard efforts have come to this moment, so it's already been a big win. We made a lot of history on multiple levels, and as we continue to make history for everyone's sake, I'm thankful that we have many young people in the next generation and beyond who see that they too can make a difference and that they too have the opportunity to do more. Okay, thank you very all right. much. Thank you. Okay, good luck. Right. Thank you. Paulette Jordan's story is interesting. Uh, Antonia, when she says never give up, she's literally talking about her own story. And tell us a little bit about that, Mark. Well, the first time she ran for the tribal council, she lost. And uh, the first time she ran for the state legislature, she lost. And boom, she's right back again running. And it was also uh, interesting that she was giving a shout out and congratulations to all the other Native women there. Paulette Jordan was campaigning um, for other candidates, including Deb Holland in New Mexico. I think one of the stories from this election that's so powerful is this sister network that's been created, and it really runs across the board for women running for Congress, for, as we just saw governor, state legislative candidates. They've connected in ways in terms of fundraising, in terms of messaging, in terms of just sharing each other's stories and having each other's back. 
And do you think that played out at all um, when it came to voting? Um, Indian country was watching a number of the different candidates and um, seeing, you know, all of the all of the Native women together supporting each other. I certainly think it contributed to this idea of the Year of the Native Women and doing it in a way that um, was able to transcend um, what would have been a normal story. I mean, it's awful challenge. You think about Native women are probably the most underrepresented group in American politics. And for the first time, you had a network that said, we're going to challenge the status quo and do things a little different. So uh, on election night, um, ben, uh, Jordan Bennett Begay was covering uh, several races. For, she's from Indian country today. And uh, she has an update. Thanks, Mark. So we've been checking, double checking, and are still keeping an eye on the numbers right now. Um, but from the looking at the data so far out of the 103 candidates, Native candidates running in races in 20 states, uh, we calculated uh, 60 candidates have won in 17 states right now. Um, however, that number could change as in South Dakota, there could be a possible recount um, in a District 27 where um, Perry Poirier uh, won with Steve Levimont. And however, Steve Levimont beat Margaret Ross by seven votes. So now there's only there's going to be a recount um, according to the Secretary of State. So we'll keep an eye on that. And if Margaret Ross wins, who is a wild Lakota, that's going to push the number of candidates up to 61 out of 103 candidates. Thank you. Any big surprises uh, that you saw during the night? Uh, one surprising um, race was Deb Lakenoff in Washington. Um, she won by a huge margin um, up, up in Washington State. And you were also watching a tribal election, the Navajo Nation and the race for president. Um, give us a little update about that race. Oh, yes. Uh, so Jonathan Nez, um, who is currently the vice president, he will be the new vice president or new president for the Navajo Nation. He'd be a former president, uh, Joe Shirley Jr. Um, by a huge margin, um, also at the Mandan Hidatsa and Arikara Nation in North Dakota. We had Tex Hall, who is a former chairman who was running against incumbent Mark Fox, and Mark Fox won that um, tribal election. And for that, that was a really surprising race, too, because um, community members are also talking about voter suppression up there. Um, it was projected nearly, um, or more than 10,000 voters were supposed to come out, but only a little more than 2,000 came out to vote for that tribal election. All right, well, thank you for that update, Jordan. In Minnesota, Peggy Flanagan is now the Lieutenant Governor-elect. Mary Annette Pember was at her campaign headquarters. We're here with uh, Peggy Flanagan, the new Lieutenant Governor of Minnesota. Hi there. Congratulations. Yes, congratulations. Oh, thank you. This is a really historic night um, for Native candidates all across this country, and I'm so excited to, to be a small part of it. Let me ask you about just the role of Native women in this race, and both as candidates and as voters. Well, I think, um, you know, the role of, of Native women uh, in this race and in races all across the country uh, I think is that when Native women see problems, we step up and step in to, to fix them. Uh, and I think that's uh, what a lot of us are trying to do um, in this role of improving people's lives. 
and we saw Native folks turn out. I look forward to getting the final numbers um, in Minnesota, but I think Native people, um, when you see yourself reflected in the folks on the ballot, uh, I think that is an opportunity and inspiring for, for people to, to turn out. And tonight there's a little girl who is in the audience named Ava, who I met um, very early on in the campaign. And she is Ojibwe uh, like me and has been at so many of our events um, hoisted up onto her dad's shoulders. And so my hope is that Ava and other little girls like her uh, get to see um, that they have a, a place and opportunity in this state and in leadership all across the country. Peggy, one of the things that is different for you as Lieutenant Governor is you've talked about a partnership with the governor and being an active participant in policy. Maybe share your thoughts on that. Sure. So Tim and I uh, kicked off our campaign together um, the weekend of Indigenous Peoples Day at the Minneapolis American Indian Center. Um, and we did that with great intention, uh, wanting to make sure that people saw this um, as a true partnership. And we have campaigned that way. Um, and I think that campaigns are oftentimes a reflection of the way that you will govern. Um, so we uh, you know, are looking forward to, to getting started on that work. Uh, tomorrow, tonight, we're going to celebrate a bit, but I plan on, you know, being his uh, top advisor. And as we work to put together an administration, uh, we think that that'll also um, reflect the kind of campaign that, that we ran, where the people who are directly affected by policies and decisions will have a, a seat at the table. So um, I'm excited to take this next step with my partner. We say partners in justice, uh, Tim Walls, to, to govern the state together. Thank you, Lieutenant Governor-elect Peggy Flanagan. Achi miigwech. Thank you so much, everybody. Thanks. It's interesting when um, Tim Waltz announced Peggy Flanagan as his running mate, one of the things he said was uh, he picked her because she taught him. And she taught him how to be a candidate, how to be uh, more thoughtful on policy. And I've always liked that phrase, she taught him. And it's certainly been one that she's taken to heart in this campaign. Let's break down a few more of the numbers from election night. And with us is Nicole Willis. She's one of our resident experts. She's a political consultant. She's worked on many campaigns, including the main point person for Bernie Sanders two years ago on tribal issues. She's also worked in the Obama administration, and she's a member of the Confederated Tribes of the Umatilla Reservation. Nicole is here now in our studio. Thanks, Mark. So let's talk about the um, so-called blue wave uh, to begin with. Um, as we all know now, Republicans have greater control over the Senate. But in the House, Democrats gain control over the House. And right now, we're about 220 Democrats to 194 Republicans. Dozens of districts last night swung right. So roughly 30 flipped. And we'll keep that number updated. But while dozens swung right, over 300 swung left. So overall, the tempo of the country is moving to the left. Um, of all states to swing left, Texas moved the furthest left in over 20 districts. And it looks like now Texas is a swing state. So that'll be really exciting moving forward to 2020. Um, for a little bit of perspective, 2018, the blue wave is about half of what the red wave was in 2010. And it is also smaller than the blue wave of 2006. So that puts it a little bit into perspective where it's not as strong as we may have thought it was. Um, we see overall that the Republicans are kind of alienating suburban voters with, by focusing on immigration and less on economic um, recovery. 
and also they're losing more educated voters. Uh, the Democrats also show a reinvigorated base with the election of Democratic governors in Wisconsin and Michigan, which also shows nice recovery from the 2016 elections, which was seen as alienating a lot of voters um, in you know, Minnesota, Wisconsin, and Michigan. And speaking of re reinvigorating, we just got word from on the ground in North Dakota that there was over twice as many native voters in this midterm as in the last midterm. So that's really exciting. And not only that, but the turnout was higher than any presidential election in the past decade. So that's really exciting because it goes to show that with their vote being challenged, these native voters in North Dakota went through far greater lengths than ever before to make sure their voice is heard. So that's really, really exciting. And also North Dakota, we have a, a native candidate elected in an urban district, Fargo, Ruth Buffalo, um, so very, very promising, um, and it just goes to show that if our vote is challenged and our, they, the state seeks to diminish our voice, we will fight back against that. Um, other news from North Dakota, we are hearing that, but not for the efforts of the Native American Rights Fund and other organizations on the ground, in addition to the tribal efforts um, to send out poll watchers, we probably would have had a lot more instances of voter intimidation and people being turned away from the polls. It was the presence of all of these volunteers and dedicated advocates that really um, put off a lot of challenges from GOP poll watchers and auditors. So I would say that the big winners of the night overall, um, first of all, let's start with healthcare. Healthcare was the big message that Democrats really stuck with. Um, and it just goes to show because in three rural states, Republican voters helped push through Medicaid expansion. Um, in Idaho, Utah, and Nebraska, we saw Republican voters overwhelmingly pass initiatives um, on the ballot for Medicaid expansion. So I think that really gets at the heart of an issue that's crossing party lines and speaking to not only Democrats, but rural Republicans. Another big winner of the night, millennials. Millennial voter turnout was extremely high. Um, people in the mainstream media love to diminish the importance of millennials and assume that they won't vote. But they showed us last night that when, when they are motivated, they can and they will vote, and they are a powerful voting bloc. So I really look forward to all of the new millennial candidates elected, including Sharice Davids and um, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. And I'm really excited to what they're gonna bring to the table and hope that we can continue to include the millennial voice more than ever before. Indian gaming was also a big winner. We had Indian gaming ballot initiatives on, in three states, Florida, Arkansas, and Idaho. And in each state, Indian gaming was protected and in the case of Arkansas, expanded. And then finally, last but not least, women. Women overall were big winners last night in state races, in federal races. We have the first African-American woman elected in Massachusetts. We have two Native women, obviously. We have two Muslims elected. And so it's just really exciting to see young, diverse women coming into the US Congress. And I'm really excited to see which changes they're going to bring and how their voices will resonate throughout the halls of Congress. Thank you. Thanks, Nicole. You know, it's interesting. Um, you mentioned the initiatives and many of the winners. But uh, one of the losers was fish and uh, uh, other uh, creatures. <laughs> yeah, yeah fish, fish did not fare very well in Alaska, nor in Washington state. So that's really disappointing that 1631 in Washington 
and um, Amendment 1 in, or Measure 1 in Alaska did not pass, but I think that these initiatives were extremely progressive initiatives that I am just grateful for the support that they did get and the backing. Um, 1631 in Washington was one of the most expensive races in the country. So it just goes to show that while there may be opposition and we didn't win this time, there's certainly the will and the way for next year. Well, and the money from uh, the fossil fuel industry was pretty significant in Washington State. Extremely significant. Did you have a question? All right. Thank you, Nicole. Thank you. So what is it like now for the candidates, the ones that were elected? Uh, we turn to Holly Cook from Red Lake. She's a partner with Spirit Rock Consultants, and she's worked in Washington for many years. We asked her to tell us about challenges facing a person who's just been elected to Congress. When um, our three new Native American women candidates um, go to Washington, D.C., which we expect um, will be um, one week from today, on November 13th, uh, freshman orientation, new member orientation starts. The very next day, the Republican conference will hold their leadership elections. So our uh, Congresswoman-elect Terrell from New Mexico um, will have to step right into um, that the, her, her party's leadership elections. And the Democrats will hold their leadership elections on November 28th. And uh, that, that election is, I, I think I've, I heard some chatter this evening that Nancy Pelosi is expected to become um, the next Speaker of the House. Um, the down-ballot races for the Democratic uh, caucus um, are still in play. And um, I expect that both Congresswoman-elect Davids and Congresswoman-elect Holland um, will be having those conversations um, beginning tomorrow morning about who they will be supporting for the leadership races. Holly, we've never gone through this before, but what are the kind of things that a new member has to deal with, um, and particularly now thinking about representing both their constituency and all of Indian country? Well, I first up to bat for, for all three of them is going to be all of the technical pieces. They're going to have to uh, gather a staff their chief of staff is going to be critical, um, and experienced chief is going to be um, very critical for all three members um, coming in as new elected officials and um, getting somebody who knows their way around the hill, who has relationships with, with other offices and with leadership will, will really be critical. Um, the new member orientation is going to give them an introduction to the legislative process, how to find the bathrooms, things like that. Um, after, after they come back uh, the week of the, the 13th, they're going to go home for the, for the Thanksgiving holiday. Um, they'll come back the week after Thanksgiving. And then the first week in December, um, all new members will go up to Harvard for the, a bipartisan issues training that Harvard has done annually for the last several years. Um, and there they will spend time learning about um, domestic and foreign policy issues. Um, get advice on how to deal with, with the media and uh, things like that as they begin to set up their offices. Is there any kind of policy training on tribal issues? You know, I checked into that today. Not that I'm aware of, but um, I know that we have a lot of strong connections to Harvard University and Indian Country, um, both through the, the Harvard Project um, on, Indi on economic development and others. I think there might be some room um, to actually add that to the agenda, particularly now that we have these record numbers of Native Americans in the Congress. 
And I understand you're planning a celebration already. We are. There are um, a number of tribes that have come together and along um, and are planning um, an event for um, to mark the historic occasion on January 3rd, which is swearing-in day for the for the 116th Congress, and um, we are planning an event to recognize um, all the new Native candidates. Um, it's a it's a nonpartisan event, so we will have um, Deborah Holland, Sharice Davids, Yvette Harrell, uh, Tom Cole, and Mark Wayne Mullen. I think that I think that that run covers all of them, and so it will be an opportunity um, to to celebrate the historic occasion. It will be open to to anyone who wants to join, and it will be held at the National Museum of the American Indian on January third. Well, you think of the diversity that Indian candidates now, Indian elect, congressman-elect, represent, where you have um, the first millennial elected to Congress, ranging to Tom Cole with his experience and depth. It's a pretty remarkable group, not just individuals. It, it's, it, we're going to have, I think, um, a, a dynamic trio. I had intended to originally say a dynamic duo, and, and now we have Congresswoman um, Harold from New Mexico joining what, um, what was a, a, a strong race for um, Deb Holland and a more kind of on the, on the fence race that, that Sharice Davids ran. Um, so it, we, we're going to have a number of members in, in critical spots. We've got, I know that um, in the coming days, one of the, the key things they're going to have to start doing is having those conversations about what committee assignments they want. And those are, are going to be critical to the roles that they can play in the Congress moving forward. Um, I had a chance to talk with um, Deborah Holland's folks, and I know that she's talked about this in several of her campaign events, that she has a long-term goal of getting the on the Appropriations Committee. Um, the number of seats that will be available uh, on that committee will depend on, on the, the new margins in, in the Congress. Um, I know that um, Sharice Davids has health care issues, the protection of the, um, of the ACA, the Affordable Care Act, and also transportation issues. Um, so I expect that we are going to see partnerships between Tom Cole, the very experienced legislator who sits in key positions on the Appropriations Committee, um, like the Labor HHS Committee, um, and his own rules. And the new partnership that we will see, um, I expect we'll see some new representation on the House um, Indian Affairs Committee or the American Indian and Alaska Native Affairs Committee. Um, I, I don't know that all three of them will be on there, but I imagine that we'll see um, at least a couple of them. Those are important, important spots for us to um, steer Indian legislation. You know, it's interesting. Uh, running a campaign is really uh, like running a small business. And you think about uh, first the startup business with the uh, first running a campaign. And then when you get elected, it's a whole shift to trying to hire staff, um, figure out where you're going to be, all the really mechanics of it. And then you think about it's not just, you know, campaigns over, a lot of celebrations, but then there's also a lot of work to be done by the candidates. Um, we hear on Congress uh, educating uh, their peers about tribal issues and also selecting different committees to sit on. And Mark, what do you think that's going to look like for some of the new candidates coming in um, to the House of Representatives? Well, one thing I think is going to be interesting is so, so much of uh, the story for in recent years has been in the Senate side with the Senate uh, Committee on Indian Affairs. Now I think you might have a lot more action on the House Committee on Indian Affairs and see potentially uh, some of these new members taking a seat in that uh, role. 
um, I think it's going to be fun to watch. And then there's also, you heard in some of the pieces, uh, Deb Holland talking about she's waiting to hear from the constituents now and Native people coming to her and tribes as well. So it's uh, Native organizations, tribal leaders, and um, advocates going up to talk about a number of, number of different issues. We, we touched on some of them last night. Healthcare, education, housing, uh, missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls was mentioned a lot. So there's a lot of work to be done um, with the new uh, uh, elected people to coming into office. And I think you'll see a lot of opportunity with people getting internships and professional jobs on those staffs, and it'll open up new avenues for uh, professional development as well. And one thing we also covered last night and talked a little bit about today with Nicole is some of the challenges. Um, we talked about uh, voting issues in North Dakota, the new law requiring street addresses on IDs when many Native people, not just in North Dakota, but across the country, um, have P.O. boxes or maybe no address at all. And so uh, uh, Native organizations and voting advocates say that's a part of voter suppression. And, year, and it's years round work to address voting issues, not just during election time. And we spoke to some voting advocates and tribal leaders about that. Indigenous people, tribes, uh, political power, is the origin of it is in your vote. The Native American Rights Fund has for decades fought for Native voting rights. NARF and partners in a Native Vote Coalition are identifying issues and exploring solutions. They recently surveyed more than 4,000 Native voters in four states and held 10 field hearings in various locations. And the barriers that we found are things that you would find in the Jim Crow era. They were absolutely shocking. Um, places like, uh, there were certain places that we discovered where they wouldn't let people vote if they lived in a mobile home, claiming that it wasn't a permanent residence. Um, there were places where, you know, you have to drive 80 miles each way in order to register, whereas in other states, you can register online. There seem to be created all of these various hurdles. Refusal to allow um, early voting locations. I love this one because when the Native community, in our experience, has requested an early voting site for its reservation, for example, they'll be told you have to pay for it. I'd like to see you tell an urban population in Atlanta that they have to pay for their own polling place. That's just not the way it works. But that's exactly what they do to Native people. The coalition even heard testimony about voter intimidation with armed law enforcement officers and other forms. But the strangest story that I heard was of um, a polling place where a tribe had requested it for many, many years. The jurisdiction relented and allocated them a polling place, but made it right on the boundary of the reservation so you had to cross the road. And it was in a chicken coop beside someone's house. So you actually had to duck down and go into a chicken coop, which still had egg crates and egg boxes in it in order to vote. And that's something clearly designed to demean the people. In Alaska, tribal leaders say people in remote communities are most likely to face these challenges, but fixing it requires legislative change. In rural Alaska, it's tough to get like um, an ID. 
And so we want to be making sure that we're talking about that and that you don't have to, you know, in a community of a couple hundred people, when the, the voter registrar knows you, that should be enough, not having to have that photo ID that you, you know, have to fly into Bethel or Nome or to get, you know, and most people don't make those trips very often. So it, it's funny to say, you know, and I've had this conversation where people are like, oh, well, you should have a voter. It's no big deal to ask for a, a photo ID. And I'm like, well, it is if you live in a community where it costs you $800 to get into your regional hub. You know, people in the lower 48 fly cr cross country for less than what it takes to go, you know, just a little ways for people in rural Alaska. So there are those barriers. And so we we need to be pushing for legislative fixes and changes to these things. And again, that takes voting. Voter turnout in Alaska was low in the 2018 primary. Past elections have shown that the native vote matters. Many say Alaska Native people played a key role in U.S. Alaska Senator Lisa Murkowski's successful 2010 write-in campaign. Each vote counts, and, um, and if uh, more of the people out there vote, then uh, uh, we will make a difference in um, uh, making sure that uh, the policies um, that um, the elected leaders do issues are addressed in each of our communities. If we do not vote and if we do not uh, make that difference, then we will live uh, with the consequences uh, that uh, those policies uh, that differ from uh, those that we elect will affect our quality of life in each community. And you know, I vote today because my ancestors didn't have the right to vote. You know, my grandmother wasn't born with the right to vote either as a native person or as a woman. And so, you know, we are impacted greatly by legislation, especially as native people. And if you're going to um, be concerned about how we're impacted, then you need to be concerned about who's representing us. And we need to be engaged and we all need to vote. It's really scary to me about the low voter turnout. We really need to engage, you know, my message lately has been, hey, you're going to go vote, great, bring, you know, 10 of your friends, family, and get them to do the same thing, and let's go vote as a group, let's celebrate that we have the right to vote. Some strides have been made through litigation. A years-long fight in Alaska ensured native language voter assistance, and in Nevada, voter registration sites and polling places on tribal lands. Voting rights advocates say, despite challenges, native people always find a way to come back. But the fact is, why do they have to fight this hard to vote? Why do they have to sue to vote? Why do they have to buy their own machines, pay for their own polling places, and issue their own IDs? Voter suppression. We as indigenous people have been here a lot longer um, and have been through an enormous amount and aren't going to be kept down by something like this. In Anchorage, I'm Antonia Gonzalez. As that piece uh, points out, it really does show how difficult it is to vote with a P.O. box. But imagine the challenges of voting if you're uh, homeless. And in Minnesota, they take steps to make sure uh, to increase the ability of people without homes to actually vote. Marionette Pember has this profile.
I am registered to vote. Why is it important to vote? It's important to vote so we have the right people to take care of us. So these kind of things don't happen. You know, our, our uh, whole Section 8 and HUD housing is filled up with our Somalian relatives. And we're stuck here, forgotten about. So we're, um, we're asking the mayor and uh, the Parks and Recreation Department to consider giving us Cedar Field Park so we can build high rises to, to increase the, the population of the Little Earth Housing Reservation in Minneapolis, Minnesota. What, what nation are you? I'm Miss, Mississippi Choctaw, right. Welch and Norwegian. My name is Tony. I'm from Kiwana Bay Indian Community in Bergen, Michigan. Um, I'm homeless. I'm registered to vote. I think it's important to vote because where are I'm, we? Where are we now? I'm sorry. What? You see where we're at now? Oh, we're at Ten City in Minneapolis. Um, I think it's important to vote because that was our our natural right. It's our say in what happens. It's important. It's it's our voice. My name is Leah. My tribal village, I'm White Earth, Ojibwe. Um, from South Minneapolis originally. I'm a registered voter and it's important to vote because um, so we have a voice. My name is Cassandra Holmes. I am Anishinaabe uh, from Lakota Ray in Wisconsin, but I've been a resident at Little Earth of United Tribes pretty much all my life. Um, I am a registered voter. I am here at the Wall of Forgotten Natives, where Chantel, myself, and Viviana, um, along with Make Voting a Tradition, um, we register people to vote and we help them as uh, homeless people to understand that they are able to vote and how to put on their um, voting registration form the, at the corner streets as an address. Um, we also come down on voting day and walk them up to the voting poll and kind of help them and guide them if they need any information on it. Uh, most of them don't, but uh, just to let them know that they are still eligible to vote, even as homeless people. Uh, Viviana here is bilingual uh, with Spanish, so she helps with our Spanish-speaking people. Um, but Make Voting a Tradition has really made it their mission to get homeless people, um, residents at Little Earth of United Tribes and our surrounding community, and really focused on our Native American people. To, that's what the whole, the whole saying is, is to make voting a tradition. We want it to be part of our tradition as people to vote, to have our voice heard, and not just sit back and kind of like, um, think that we're not able to vote when we are. So we know it's important and we are gonna be out here on November 6th to get our homeless uh, people out voting. The 2018 midterm election is now over. A lot of stories from the Native vote and the Native candidates. And what are you looking ahead at now, Mark, for the, your headlines? Well, one thing that I think uh, we'll be doing right away is we started, this, at least I started this election with lists and uh, making sure we recorded every candidate. So we'll be publishing lists later this week that an Indian country today that will go list by uh, candidate, race by race, and actually show how people ended up. There are a lot of races that are still too close to call, so at this point we still can't tell you. 
Uh, one that's just fascinating to me is uh, Jade Bear, who's running for the State House of Representatives in Montana. She's running in Billings, Montana, in an urban district. She's a young candidate, 29 years old, and doing extraordinarily well. But that's the kind of race we want to make sure we're able to wrap up at, at the end. All right, great. Well, and uh, again, this was not only history in the making for Native candidates, but also this broadcast, last night's broadcast. And a uh, big shout out to all the people who helped, um, all the Native journalists out there. Just uh, so many people contributed to this. We had over 40 producers and, and reporters, and, uh, and my favorite is Cousins at one point. Yes. <laughs> and um, I think being able to, uh, I mean, you look at the media, and there are so few opportunities for uh, a lot of people of color, but particularly Native Americans. And one of the things you used to hear is we couldn't find anybody. And I think this one broadcast is something that puts that to an end. There's lots of talent in Indian country, and we were able to round up that talent. The other thing is we did this extraordinarily fast. This broadcast was put together in just five weeks, and uh, I'm really proud of it. I think we did a fine job with that. And our audience may not know that you know a broadcast uh, like this usually takes much longer than that and a lot more people and a lot more expense. And also um, to our experts out there, we had social media and our political experts. And I think that was also a great addition to the broadcast. I, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, it added a lot of depth to the program and um, it, it allowed people to see things from a different perspective, which is what great journalism is all about. And so now it's two more years, is that? <laughs> two more years and we'll be back. Thank you very much for watching uh, Native uh, Election, Native Vote 18, and uh, Native Vote 18 Election Night Live, which is no longer the case. Uh, but we really appreciate you watching and look forward to uh, seeing you again. All right. Thank you. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.